Christ is ours forevermore. Can I get a hallelujah? That's our only hope, isn't it? That we have the person that we need in this world. Let me take you back to last week for a second. Last Sunday at 8 o'clock in the morning, as we were preparing to make our way to church, I look on our planning center app that uh, holds the order of service that we had, and to my surprise, I realized that my sermon that I prepared for did not cover the entire sermon that I was supposed to preach last week. <laughs> I was supposed to go a lot further in the passage than I actually did. So if you're following the sermon card, let me tell you how we're going to catch ourselves up. Today, this sermon is going to cover chapter 1, verse 12 through 2, verse 26. And then next week, our brother Dana will take us through the entire third chapter of Ecclesiastes. And at that point, we will be caught up with the sermon card. So we pray, at, we ask that you pray as you're looking at the sermon card. Ask the Lord to continue to grant much grace as he opens his word up to us. With that being said, let me invite you to stand to your feet and let's read God's word. Let's hear the words of our king addressed to our heart. Ecclesiastes, the first chapter. starting in verse number 12 through chapter 2, verse number 26. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the heaven, and behold, all is heaven, and the striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was heaven. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I brought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all of my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I've expended in doing it, and behold, all was heaven, and 
striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom in madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what he has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. And I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also heaven. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and all is hevel and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be a master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is heaven. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is heaven and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is heaven. There's nothing better for a person than, he, than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him... God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give it to the one who pleases God. This also is heaven in the striving after the wind. Father, there is nothing that we will do here today that if we don't have the aid of your Holy Spirit, it wouldn't matter. We need the help of your Holy Spirit, your precious Holy Spirit, to open up our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. So help me in my heralding, help us in hearing of your word, and Father, be magnified in the preaching of your word today. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may have a seat. If an aspect of the word hevel is frustration, let me tell you what hevel is. Hevel is a missing pacifier. Now, if you're a parent in here or you raise children, you understand what I mean by that. Hevel is when it is way past your child's bedtime and you can't find said pacifier that she needs to go to sleep. Can I get an amen? Parents know what I'm talking about. Lord, help us if we didn't find this pacifier because there would be a price to pay. What our little one Eden doesn't know, though, is that there is a day coming. She's one day closer to life without that pacifier. One day, and oh Lord, bring it soon, one day is coming when we will wean her off of her precious pacifier, and probably on that night it'll be a long road to falling asleep. 
When our firstborn, Olivia, didn't have her pacifier for the first time, she didn't like it at all. It felt uncomfortable, it felt unusual. She cried for a long time because life without her pacifier was just a small sample of what life is like under the sun. And yet, she survived. We will see what Oscar-worthy performance our younger one, Eden, performs when it's time to be weaned off of her pacifier. It's important to remember this morning what the preacher is doing here in Ecclesiastes. He is taking the pacifier out of our mouths and forcing us to deal with the world as it really is. He's weaning us from seeking false comforts, unsatisfying desires, and impossible aspirations that humans spend their entire lives searching for in life under the sun. He's reminding us this morning of what reality is really like. He's doing this so we can see it for what it is, and then we can adjust ourselves accordingly. He will probably, what I'm thinking, let me catch up real quick, my notes got scrambled. That's Hevel right there, here we go. Yep. Okay. Me and Pastor Dan was just talking about this. As we're traveling through Ecclesiastes, we probably will feel like Olivia, our firstborn, felt, and what Eden, our secondborn, will feel like when life without the pacifier suddenly arrives. Our time in Ecclesiastes has felt and will continue to make us feel uncomfortable. This is fine because even though we feel uncomfortable, we recognize that we ought not to feel comfortable in this life that's lived under the sun. It will cause us to feel gloomy at times, and at times it might be a killjoy. This is fine because Ecclesiastes is weaning us off of this world. We might find it disturbing, well, I'd rather find, I'd rather be disturbed in this life and not be disturbed in the next. Our time in Ecclesiastes may help, may cause us to feel pessimistic and cynical. Only until we realize that Ecclesiastes is strangely shaped like the letter U. It must bring us down before it shoots us back up above the sun. We must not try to wiggle away too quickly from what the preacher is doing. We must feel the weight of his words, but feel them in faith. His words help us to shake off any disillusionment that we may have. That life under the sun ultimately satisfies us with meaning. This is like good medicine that tastes bad, right? Even though it contorts our face as we swallow, it's good for us because it shows us that we ought not to be looking for something in this life under the sun that it is impossible to find. We can't possibly find it no matter how hard we search for it. Last week's lesson from the Heat Academy was this. Under the sun, you gain nothing. Above the sun, you gain everything. The Heat Academy's lesson this week is Nothing under the sun gives you or gives us what we are searching for. But above the sun, the search ends. Did you hear that? Nothing under the sun gives us what we are searching for. But above the sun, the search ends. 
Here in our text, we finally get to the actual words of the preacher. From this point on until we get to chapter 12, verse number 8, we hear the firsthand account from the mouth of the preacher as we enter into his world. And from the outset, we see both the earnestness of his endeavor, its scope, and his conclusion. Our text shows us his results. Notice his earnestness, though. His earnestness helps us to take his search seriously because he took his search seriously. He is not engaged in busy work, as we will find out. The full power of his disciplined pursuit is captured right here in verse number 13. It says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the heaven, which is another way of saying under the sun. Then he says, it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. We see that the preacher's search is one with determination and focus. There is no distraction in his search like the distraction that we may fall prey to. Distraction like when you're working on a task and then 15 minutes later you're checking your latest tweet. Then you go back and you start working on the task a little bit more and then you go after a while and go check your inbox. And then you go back to work on the task a little bit more and then a thought comes to your mind. Hmm, I should go check out my favorite pop star video from when I was in high school. This is, not the, this is not the way the preacher is going about his quest. There's a determination. There's a focus. There's a zeal. One author calls it deep work, stringent focus on the task at hand without giving into the enticing tractor beam of distraction. Don't act like you don't get caught up in it. Distraction. We see that this is no casual investigation as if his task is to find his way out of some escape room. With his whole person, his whole heart, he devoted himself, he occupied his mind by searching all of the activity that's done on the earth or all that is done under the sun. And the question is, what is he looking for? What did he devote himself to? What occupied not only his mind, but his whole entire person, his very heart? He was on search for something that we all search for. Every single last one of us in this room is on this search mission. It's a universal 24-7 search in the form of a good question that one person asked. Is there a thing in this world that can truly satisfy the heart of a human being? You know your heart is asking that question right now? Is there anything in this world that can truly satisfy your heart? Preacher searched out all that was done under the sun to see if any of this toil brings meaningful satisfaction. I want you to pause for a second. I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask them this question. Turn to your neighbor and ask them, how well do you know yourself this morning? You can do it right now. There you go. How well do you know yourself this morning? And now you can turn around and say to him, mind your business. How well do you know yourself this morning? How well do you know yourself this morning, Jubilee? Do you know that you, you, us, we, all of us are on a mission to taste the happiness of meaningful satisfaction? All of us in here are. We're on this mission to taste it and to experience it. I'm reminded of a, a Blaise Pascal quote that I read for the first time when I picked up Desiring God from Piper. He says, all people seek happiness, every single last one of us. 
This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end, which is happiness. They will never take the least step, or the will never takes the least step, but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every person. And this is where it struck me. Even of those who hang themselves. It's a quest for happiness, satisfaction. It's not a question of whether you seek happiness through satisfaction. It's not a question whether you seek significance or meaning. Jubilee, you do. The question is this morning, which road do you take to get to this elusive land of satisfaction and meaning? That's the only question. The preacher has traveled all roads, even roads that we couldn't and wouldn't dare to take in our wildest dreams. He's seen it all. The one-man jury has deliberated, and he has brought back his verdict. Way before Rolling Stones and Aretha Franklin and maybe even Britney Spears stung, I can't get no satisfaction. The preacher has been there and done that. Before he gets into the particulars of his search, though, he, at the front end, gives us his conclusion. If chapter 1, verse number 3 is the question that's driving the preacher's research project, what does the person gain by all of this toil with which he toils under the sun? He explicitly answers it now in verse number 15. He says, I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is hevel in a striving after the wind. All is utterly senseless to the point of futility because there is no gain to all the toil, just like there would be no gain if you went outside, started running around, and trying to chase the wind. I want you to hear his verdict loud and clear. If you are hoping to find gain, satisfaction, and meaning in this Genesis 3 cursed under the sun, under the sun world, in the famous beginning words of Dante's Inferno, abandon all hope. Abandon it. The preacher grounds his conclusion with the proverb, verse number 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Why does the preacher come to this conclusion that all that's done under the sun is hevel and is striving after the wind? All is hevel because this world is very broken, and it cannot be fixed. Right? Reminds me of my very first car accident, this concept of the world being crooked beyond recovery. My very first car accident happened to my very first car. A vehicle crashed into me from behind and pushed me into like an A-team type van with a steel bumper. And it curled my hood up like you've never seen a hood curl up before. My car was declared to be totaled wasn't fixable. The hood could not be straightened out, could not be fixed at all. Life under the sun, simply from a human perspective and seen through human reasoning and observation can't arrive at any other conclusion than the preacher because there will be no point, no point until Christ comes back in all of human history where the world will not be crooked. 
be about social justice. The gospel calls us to lift up justice, right? But know that the, you can do every single social justice initiative out there in the world and still not straighten out what is crooked. Do you know this to be true, Jubilee? Do you know or do you feel the crookedness of this world? Have you tasted the hebel bitterness of relationships that will not be fixed? Problems that cannot be solved. Systems that are painfully broken like the criminal justice system. And questions that will not be answered. Next time you happen to be outside next to a tree with crooked roots above the ground, I want you to bend down and just feel it. Try to straighten those roots out. Do so, what you'll see, what you'll know yourself to be experiencing is a tactile illustration of life under the sun. What is lacking can't be counted. In other words, life under the sun fails to add up and it cannot give you the satisfaction that you were made for. Now, Jubilee for the Christian. Anybody a Christian here this morning? Anybody in Christ? F for the Christian, this reality check does not end in despair or nihilism, right? For the Christian, the reality check, this reality check of this world, its crookedness and its, un, un, its, its inability to be straightened out, this reality check, this, this, is, this is actually good news for us right here. This, this causes us to look elsewhere, right? It lifts our eyes above the sun where we hear the words of the prophet Isaiah who says this, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and, uh, and, and, and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. While we experience the crookedness of this world, we have a hope. We have a hope that one day all will be made straight to be crooked no more. The preacher's search for profit under the sun led him to test things that humans would normally look for for satisfaction and gain. Let's consider the first test in verse number 16 and 17. He says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I've applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. In the beginning, he used wisdom as an instrument to come to his conclusion. Now, wisdom itself is under investigation. There are many people who go hard after intellectual pursuits to bring satisfaction and meaning to their lives. Life for them is about what you know, and the more you know, the better you are. There's always another book to read, Always another podcast to listen to. Always another degree to attain. Always another training that you need to attend. It's important for this type of person to be seen as wise and to be known as the one who has all the answers. The scriptures give us sound counsel, though, to not boast in our wisdom. The preacher helps us to see why. The preacher was not satisfied with his investigation of wisdom. He found it to come up short. But he didn't stop just with his investigation of wisdom. He flipped over the coin, as it were, and he also wanted to test madness and to test folly. This doesn't mean that he wanted to see what it was like to lose his mind. Madness and folly is another way of saying foolish behavior. 
The preacher wanted to know whether or not there was gain in foolish behavior. Is there gain in living a wise life? Is there gain in living a foolish life? We have to give him some props for his investigation, though. Some of us here, we know what it is to have foolish behavior on our resumes. But very few of us have set out to test whether foolish behavior satisfies or not. What was his conclusion from his search of wisdom and foolishness? Look at verse number 17. Again, B, the last part. I perceive that this also is but a chasing after wind. He backs this up with a proverb. He says, for in much wisdom is... Uh, it, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. We know, all of us in here, we should know, that foolishness, we understand that foolishness is not going to bring us gain. We get that. But the preacher tells us that if we're banking on being wise and knowledgeable, if we're trying to find meaning and satisfaction out of that, then we'll end up in the same place. More wisdom, more problems. More wisdom and knowledge do not help in the search. Rather, they only increase the level of frustration and mental anguish because one sees better the problems of living under the sun. How many of y'all know that there are some things in life that we rather not have learned? Is that right? Preacher checks wisdom, folly, and madness off of his list. He moves on to the public topic of pleasure. Chapter 2, verse number 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Oh, how we like this one, right? Who doesn't want to enjoy themselves by the thousands of means available to you to do so? Enjoy yourself by maybe binge-watching Pastor John's favorite show, Downton Abbey. He told me that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no? <laughs> he says, I don't find any pleasure in that show at all. Hevel. It's all hevel. Well, who doesn't know the pleasure of doing something like planting your annuals every year, Right? But this goes deeper for the preacher, though. He is not simply kicking his feet up and enjoying a game or enjoying some R&R or enjoying a good book. As one person said it, this is a deliberate attempt to learn something from personal experience. He's going to test the pleasures of life and weigh them in the balance. Can satisfaction be found here? Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But, behold, look, check it out. This also is heaven. If I can change visuals instead of checking pleasure off of the list, let me remind you of a section of that Ecclesiastes resource that we gave you at the beginning. Can you throw it on the screen for me, please? Remember we gave you this, this sheet that walked you all the way through Ecclesiastes. This is upside down. There you go. You can find these out in the lobby. This one is the top right section that's helping us understand what the teacher is trying to do here. You can keep that up for, for the visual. It's knocking things down. Wisdom, no. Folly, no. Pleasure, no. Knocking it all down. But remember the key. Remember the key. Don't get lost without this key. If we are searching for gain, 
if we're searching for meaningful satisfaction, the preacher is doing us a solid. He knocks it all down. Knocks wisdom down, knocks pleasure down. Well, what about laughter? Wormwood's affectionate uncle, Screwtape, spoke of two new friends that the young man in the story met. And they said of these two new friends that they were great laughers. He warned his nephew that laughter can actually be a tricky thing. If laughter finds its source only in flippancy, then it's a great benefit to their father below. But if laughter finds its source in joy, Screwtape warns his nephew, then this kind does us no good and should always be discouraged. Oh, how we love to laugh. Who doesn't enjoy one of those real good guttural belly laughs that just takes your oxygen away. You gotta leave the room to catch your breath again, right? Or what about the laugh that comes from your child that's just incontrollably just snorting away because she finds something so funny? We love to laugh as often as possible. Whether if it's from a funny video clip on Twitter to relieve some stress, or whether if it's a joke about something that we feel insecure about that helps us to get through it. We are great laughers in here. What? Does laughter help us find lasting meaning and purpose and satisfaction and gain under the sun? Verse number two in chapter two says, I've said of laughter, it is mad. One version says, it's foolish to be laughing all the time. We'll see this next week that there is a time to laugh, but if we look to inoculate ourselves from the heat of this life under the sun with laughter and to find some gain in it, as one version once again says, it's silly. What about pleasure? The preacher knocks that down too. If I'm looking, if I'm searching to get water out of a rock, as it were, to look for gain and pleasure. Verse number two says, and of pleasure, what use is it? Next on the list, let's try some alcohol and see what we learn there. Verse number three. Verse three says, I've searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom. In other words, he was, still in, he was in a controlled experiment, as it were. He says, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few years of their life. Here we see one of the main reasons why people pursue pleasure by many, any means necessary. Life is short. If I were to bring out of the bag one of our national colloquialisms back in the day, YOLO. You only live once. So you better go ahead and live it up. You better get everything that you can get. Life is short, so go hard after satisfa satisfaction, as some are prone to do through alcohol, either to enjoy life or to lessen the difficulties of life. The preacher holds off from drawing a conclusion, but by this time we know where he is going. We probably can guess what he, is, he would say. But he moves on to two more big things that we're tempted to find satisfaction in. Accomplishments and possessions. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 4 through 8, I want you to notice how he speaks here. He says, I made great works. 
I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Notice the, the self-centeredness of the, preacher's request, of the preacher's quest here. I made for myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. This sounds like the Garden of Eden, as, as if the preacher's trying to recreate paradise here, right? I made myself pools from which to, to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had, and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who were before me in Jerusalem. I also gather for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and providences. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. Here we see him bragging about his accomplishments of sexual exploits. So many of us try to find satisfaction in our accomplishments. You go get your degree, you get the house you wanted, you get the promotion that you were looking for. You found satisfaction, right? You found what you were looking for, right? It is not our accomplishments that we look to, it's our possessions for me to listen to the preacher again. What is the conclusion to his test? Ecclesiastes 2, 9 through 11. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no good or no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward from all my toil. The preacher discovered that there was reward for his efforts. There was reward in his toil. But did he find the ultimate objects of meaning, satisfaction, and gain, and happiness? He goes on to say, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I expended in doing it. And behold, all was hevel and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. All of the blocks jubilee. All of them. All the blocks that humans try to find meaning and satisfaction and gain in and from life under the sun has been knocked down. They're laying at the, the preacher's feet, and his encouragement to us this morning is to not try to stack them back up again. To not go look for some new blocks to try something else again like we may be tempted to do so. Did you know that there is actually an annual study that comes out every, every year's annual called the World Happiness Report? Heard of that before? This is a serious study. The World Happiness Report surveys the level of happiness in the countries across the world. And for the third year in a row, the U.S. has dropped in its rankings all the way down to 19. In other words, Americans are more unhappy. Why do you think that would be the case? One person said it's because of the addiction crisis in our country. And that may be so, but I wonder if it's a different kind of addiction. Let me ask this question to you again. Is there a thing in the world that can truly satisfy the heart of a human being? The preacher's answer is no. But we Americans are addicted to continuing to go hard and search to put those blocks back up again. Preacher has a reason why satisfaction can't be found in life under the sun. He brings to the forefront the mortal enemy of this book, death. We'll hear more about death in chapters to come. But if you listen to what he says in these next two parts, he helps us to understand that death is the great equalizer. In verses 12 through 8, 17, he speaks about that while wisdom has 
some benefit to life, the wise person and the fool succumb to the great equalizer of death. Chapter, verse number 19, all the way down to verse number 23, speaks to us and he says, toil, he hated this toil because he recognized that death was going to come and he was going to have to give what he's worked hard for to somebody who he didn't even know would use it properly or not. Verses 12 all the way down to verse number 23, this also is heaven. This is life under the sun. This is life apart from the one who's been missing from Ecclesiastes, from verse, chapter 1, verse 16, all the way to chapter 2, verse 23. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed who's been missing in all of this exploration that he's been talking about? God has not been mentioned once from chapter 1, verse 16, all the way to, through to chapter 2, verse 23. He's not been mentioned once in the preacher's quest for meaning. Now, since all of his stuff has been knocked down, all of us all over the place, what are we supposed to do with all of this? If he's knocked down every single place, it's all gone. If he knocked down every single place that we try to search for meaning, then what's our answer? What do we do? Well, C.S. Lewis is helpful here. He says this, our desire for satisfaction in meaning is not wrong. Don't feel bad, Jubilee, because you are a searcher for satisfaction and that you yearn for meaning. This is not a wrong thing. This is, this is not a, a flaw in the design. Listen to C.S. again. Since creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, he says, there is a such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's a such thing as water. Does humans feel sexual desire? Well, there's a such thing as sex. And then he comes with his famous quote, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Right? If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy, it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud, C.S. Lewis says. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse, to suggest the real thing. Remember our lesson. Nothing under the sun gives us what we are searching for. But above the sun, the search ends. Let me move C.S. Lewis off the stage and bring in Augustine to you. You know what he said? Augustus says this, he says, you talking to God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Above the sun, the search ends because it's above the sun, we find the one who in verse number 26 says, give us what, in verse 26 says that he gives us what we need and what this world cannot offer. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. He gives us wisdom and knowledge and joy so that we can treat this under the sun world properly. We don't go looking to gain something from this world, Jubilee. We don't waste our time seeking for something that it can't offer. We don't live for the pleasures of the world. We don't try to go find gain in the bankruptcy of this world under the sun. 
We receive what we need from our Father, and then we're enabled to do verse number 24. How does one live under the sun and at the same time not rely your life upon the things under this sun? Our circle may be prone to pietism. One person said it like this. He says, the pietist pays no attention to the apple tree and leaves it to decay. He or she runs to her closet to pray instead. Death is coming. Eternal matters are in a balance. Attention to the physical and bodily is waste. Conditions of our soul is the only thing that matters. Now let all the things of this earth grow strangely dim and hunker down under the cruel hot sun. Is that what we're supposed to do? Is that how we're supposed to live the rest of our life? Verse 24 says there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment. What we see here Jubilee is that God is not a killjoy. He didn't give us Ecclesiastes to try to take pleasure and satisfaction and meaning away from us while we daily march towards death. He gave us Ecclesiastes so that we don't go looking for things in the wrong places. Pleasure, satisfaction, and meaning, and joy are found in him. And it is in him that we live our lives from the ordinariness of washing dishes to the mundaneness of mowing the lawn to the accomplishments of a job well done. Listen to the words from a nameless poor Christian woman from the 18th century. She says, I don't know when I've had the happier time, I don't know when I've had happier times in my soul than when I've been sitting at work with nothing but me, nothing before me but a candle and a white cloth and hearing no sound but that of my own breath. With God in my soul and heaven in my eye, I rejoice in being exactly who I am, a creature capable of loving God and who, as long as God lives, must be happy. I get up and look a while out the window. I gaze at the moon and the stars, the work of an almighty hand. I think of the grandeur of the universe and sit down and think myself one of the happiest beings in it. This is how we live life, Jubilee, under the sun. This leaves me with one last question. How does God give us this wisdom and this knowledge and this joy? How does he give it to us? Is it not because of the perfect person and work of his son Jesus? Paul tells us in Corinthians that God has made Christ to become to us wisdom. Didn't he tell us in Colossians that in Christ there is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Didn't he, tell us, didn't he tell the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord? And didn't Peter encourage his folks, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now yet see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You might ask, how can I please God? And the answer is, with your whole heart this morning, trust in his son. And keep on trusting in the one who is our wisdom and who is our knowledge and who is our joy. This is how we live life underneath this sun as we move eternally to the next. Come rejoice now, O my soul, for his love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Our only hope in this world is Christ is mine forevermore. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would take it and that you would engraft it in our soul and in our hearts, 
that it would grow like yeast, that it would renew our mind, and that you would teach us what you have spoken to us through your word. Would we not look to this world for, any, for anything, to the things that our hearts are made for, but that which it can't get? May we search for it in you, and then teach us how to live in this world as a result. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet, Jubilees? I want to read a dismissal text to you all. Favorite one is here in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse number 20. As you go, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever and ever. If you agree with that, let the church say amen. 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 You are dismissed. <laughs>